This is CliffCentral.com. Morning, guys, and welcome to this broadcast on Women's Day. Um, it's myself, Anisha, and Keke from Consciousness Cafe, and we're very excited to, to be able to be part of Cliff Central this morning. And we have really special guests in the studio today, um, Lebo and Sibongile, and we'll be talking a little bit about what Consciousness Cafe does, but we'll also be talking to Sibongile and Lebo about what they do and their research, and we'll also be discussing a little bit about Women's Day. And yeah, before we get started, um, maybe we'll just talk a little bit about Consciousness Cafe, KK. Hi everyone and I uh, hope you're tuning in and not snoring away although you <laughs> would be seeing that it's a public holiday but um for those of you who are with us um so we've been to Cliff Central a couple of times before talking about uh, Consciousness Cafe so basically what Consciousness Cafe does is um just cultivate and um promote a platform where people can be honest and speak about the issues that they have whether it's in their communities or at work or whatever the case may be. Um, when it started out, it was basically to start addressing the race issues and the prejudice issues that we have in this country. Um, but, um, we started working together also with the no, no name initiative, the NNI, um, which is the structure we use for the facilitated transformational dialogues that we do. And, um, just realized that there are so many other issues that people are itching to talk about, you know, outside of the blatant ones in this country, which are race. So, um, we've been doing a few of those dialogues and today we're just here to, um, celebrate women, of course, because it's Women's Day and also hear a little bit more about, um, Lebo and, um, Sibongile's different initiatives that they've been involved in as, as black women. So Sibongile <coughs> is, um, a research psychologist and she's currently, um, a PhD candidate whose, whose study is about racial transformation and diversity management in the workplace. So she's going to talk a little bit about uh, her findings from the research. And then we also have labels. We packed, yeah, women in the <laughs> studio, eh? <laughs> then we've got Lebel who's, um, she's going to be talking about being an African woman in the, in the corporate space and also interpreting African Renaissance and Agenda 2063 <coughs> also in the corporate. She's a management consultant with Deloitte and she also speaks, she's a speaker on Afrocentric issues. She's also been traveling across the continent and is due to speak in the U.S., right, Lebo? Wow. Yeah, yep. in the U.S. on African solutions to African problems. She's also an alumni of the Tabumbeki African Leadership Institute. So we're very happy to have you guys both here in the studio. It's very exciting for us to talk about these things because they're really important issues. And it's great. Thanks, guys, for, for joining us. Yeah, since we won't meet, or oh, well, we haven't yet met uh, the great Mr. Tabo and Becky, at least we're sitting with two women who have. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe you'll rub off a bit on us and you'll get to <laughs> Sibungila, do you want to just um, yeah, chat to us a little bit about, about your research? Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for the invite. Um, I like this space. It's quite cozy here. <laughs> so this is where you guys hide every now and then. You know? it's, it's really cool. So, yeah, I mean, I've, um, I'd like, like Anisha has just said, I'm a research psychologist, and my background is basically research. I've been working in research environments, starting from like social research and moving to market research. Um, and my study was influence in that space of market research. 
the experiences that I, I observed there um, and some of them that I went through, they really motivated me to start thinking, okay, there's a problem here and what does it look like and how what can we do to try and, and, and solve that problem? Um, so mainly I looked at... Um, um, individual identity and organizational identity try to, so to try and um, understand some of the transformation, specifically racial transformation issues that the, the industry was battling with. Um, so I was looking at identity and, organization, uh, and organizational identity to look at what is it about um, the individuals that work in, the, in, the, in these organizations, specifically the black individuals that work in, the, in these organizations and the organizations that make it difficult for transformation to, to happen in these, in, these, in these organizations, specifically in this industry, market research industry, because that's where, where uh, I, I was based. So individual identity, basically, it's simply described it would be how one identifies themselves like how do you see yourself mm. you know you know some of the beliefs about yourself and organizational identity then becomes um how the balance between the organizational culture or the values within the organization and the beliefs the uh, within the organization that basically shape the organization and how how they balance that with some of the images that come from external environments, like the ex uh, key stakeholders, what do they say about the organization? So the organization is constantly trying to balance the two, to say, this is who we are internally, this is how we see ourselves, ourselves, and this is where we're going. And also then, how do our stakeholders see us? So mm -hmm. if the public sees you in a negative light, the organization will go back and say, okay, is this really who we are? Mm -hmm. If it's not, if it's not in line with um, how the organization sees itself, then they will do something to change that. Or if it is in line, then they will just reinforce whatever messages are. So that's what organiz organizational identity is. Sorry, and you so, said that you. Sorry, I didn't ask if yeah. it's okay to ask questions as no, you go fine, along. No, it's fine. You can ask. Um, so the, what you were looking at was the individual identity of um, why transformation wasn't happening, as well as the organizational identity. Yeah. So I was looking at the what, relationship. What, what the interaction more, oh, more than okay. the relationship. Like okay. what is it that when an organizational identity and an individual identity interact mm. creates the space where it becomes difficult for transformation to happen. Mm. Especially like when you look at the at the market research industry. Mm. Okay, I know transformation is a South African issue mm. and um we we really trying trying to we're battling with mm. with some of the problems that we, we face in when it comes to transformation. So but then when I when I looked at the the, the um, market research industry specifically, I realized that it's the problem is, 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 it's, it's a big problem there, but it's, it's not, there's no, there isn't too much attention focused on it because mm. it's seen as this one small industry that is functioning on its own. Whereas there are other industry, bigger industries, at least that are seen as bigger industries, like for instance, the financial services, where if transformation was not happening there, Everybody would be out to to ask mm. what's going on. Mm. You know, mm. you, we all know those typical industries that are always on the on the news mm. about what how transformation in those spaces and what's happening there. Whereas this industry, it's seen as small. It does what it does, and no one is paying attention. And there I was working there and realizing that something is not right. Mm. So and something needs to happen. So basically, I've used it as a case study to understand transformation in a bigger space. But um, I focus mostly on the market research industry. 
And um, so what I was looking at, like there were basically three things that really bothered me as I was observing and watching everything that was happening. The first one was that, okay, understanding the industry, it's a market research industry, very influential. It might seem small, but it's quite influential because if you think about it, every organization cannot function, especially an organization that services um, customers, you need to know how your customers, who your customer is. Yes, yes, yeah. So you can't make any decisions without that information. Mm. So you rely on that industry quite heavily, mm. and so it's it's very influential if you think about mm. that. And it's an industry that is um, in the business of understanding the market. Mm. And for instance, if you're in South Africa or you're trying to understand <clears throat> the South African market. And the South African market is made up of 80% black individuals, mm. yet these individuals are not represented in your organization. To me, it just makes business sense that mm. the guys the, or the majority of the population needs to be represented. Because um, if you understand the research and the research process, what happens, it's about interpretation of results. You, know, mm. you go out there, you fetch results, um, you come back and you make sense of those results. And how... Typically people make sense of anything You draw from who you are You draw mm. from your experiences You draw from your background So if a certain background is not represented And yet you go out there Saying that you are in the business of understanding a market um, And this is what the market looks like Where did you get the interpretations mm. from? You know. Mm. So for me those things kind of bothered me that Because it makes business sense to to transform in this organ- in this industry, why then is it not happening? Why is it that um, the leaders in in the industry are not seeing this as as important as I think it should be? Mm. So I wanted to know why. That that was the one question I wanted to know. The second question was as I was observing what um, the issues of transformation and what the industry looked like, I realized that there were a few, even this small, but there were individuals who do move up the ladder, mm. who make it to senior positions. So I wondered why, what is it about these guys? You know? <laughs> yeah. If everyone else seems to be struggling, uh, how is it that these guys have gotten it right? You know, Who are they and how did they experience things? So that was the second thing that I was looking at. And then the third thing that um, bothered me also that I wanted answers for was that um, there were a, a number of um, researchers, specifically black researchers, who they seem to know what they're doing, but they sit in their corner, do their work, go home. They don't progress in the in the organization, but they remain in those positions, and they don't seem to be, at least from the outside, they didn't seem to be bothered by the fact that you're still holding the same position for so many years. Mm. You know, why are you not doing something about it? It's either you leave if you know if you if you if you're not happy. Or you find a way to move up the ladder. I mean, who wants to be in the same position for over and over yes. and for mm. however long it was? So I wanted to find out those questions because they they really answer to those questions because they just bothered me. And mm. it's it's a it's a personal story because you were working in that environment, right? So yeah. So you also like the research was motivated also because you found yourself in that in that space. So yeah. you needed to find answers. Yeah. But you're out of that space now? Or? Yes, now I work for NetBank. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I've left research in a sense yes. uh, now. I just use it to inform my decisions mm. now rather than doing the research. So, yeah, as you say, Anisha, it was part of it. The, 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 the study is quite close to mm. home to me because some of the, the experiences that I also went through um, and also what I was observing my colleagues going through. Mm. Um, so even when I approached the study then, I needed to find a methodology 
that uh, was in harmony with that because mm. you know with research i mean uh, you you are a researcher as well so you understand with research we emphasize um, oh. um objectivity yes. you know it, it, it has to be scientific and everything but um so i had to find um uh, a methodology that allowed my subjectivity because I, I understood that I'm, I'm, I'm subjective mm. in this case because it's motivated by personal experiences as well. So, and also because then I, I subscribe to the worldview that says reality is constructed, mm. you know, within a context. So if you want to understand that reality, you need to understand the lived experiences of the individuals mm. who are participating the in context. that context. Yeah. Yeah. So and then, then I approached it using phenomenology, which is based a study of lived experiences mm. and it also allows for that 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 measure between the researcher and the research in the in the research to say you, you know we constantly have to um, negotiate between your own biases and what you're seeing is happening so you almost have to keep a diary to say this is what I am observing but this is how my experience will have been how is it that my experiences and what I'm observing might be? Biasing the process, so you constantly have to be aware. That sounds like it was difficult yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> it's a sensitive kind of a subject, and obviously you had your own emotional attachment to the issues. So how did you manage that? It sounds like it yeah, it's it's, it's interesting because <laughs> you go through that process, mm. and and yeah, diary helps a lot. Mm. So after every interview. You then talk about to yourself about how you've experienced this, and uh, so you allow yeah. yourself that space to actually experience whatever feelings that you yeah. are having about the what, the situation, the stories that you hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was a very important journey for me personally as well. Mm. So yeah, then I went then ahead. I interviewed uh, black researchers. And um, also CEOs of uh, companies that um, were willing to participate um, in the study because, you know, <clears throat> it's quite sensitive. Some companies saw it as, okay, maybe you're just in here to evaluate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so they, they weren't comfortable to, to be involved. But there were those who were quite eager and they wanted to participate. So I interviewed the CEOs. So then the CEOs were mainly from a, a perspective of the organization. So talking about the organizational identity from their mm. perspective since see, they, they, the, the, the key decision maker in the decision. So in most of, uh, most of the time they would drive, um, w- whatever culture will be in that, in that organization. So hence I spoke to them. And then I also spoke to then the, the black researchers that I spoke to. Um, and, um, the key finding basically was that there's a huge disconnect between the leadership and between the leadership and their employees. Um, for instance, the relationships that exist tend to be um, superficial mm-hmm. and, and mostly most of the times based on stereotypes. Um, for instance, you hear the stereotypes that uh, black people are in demand, high demand, and therefore they job hop because they're looking for bigger and better salaries. Um, some of the stereotypes would be that, you know, we come from previously disadvantaged backgrounds and therefore we need a hand, we need some help. Um, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, so those are, those were some of the stereotypes that I, I came across, um, with and I realized that, okay, it's not because people are consciously trying to make up these stories. It's because they truly believe it. It's, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> it's the experience. Mm, yes. That's what they, that's what they yeah. know, you know, and because we, 
Uh, that's another thing I realized that, uh, we don't, we don't talk about the, ourselves mm. and our stories. We talk about ourselves like when we, with each other. Mm. But, um, there isn't much out there that is known about, uh, about us, black people specifically. So I, I don't really blame them for having the, the, the experiences that they've had and therefore the stereotypes that they've had. Sorry, I just want to come in there. I just love <coughs> what you're saying because I mean, this is why actually we thought of the, the whole concept of forcing people, not forcing, I mean, yeah. encouraging people to be in a space where they can actually learn about each other outside of the you know the the thoughts and the yeah. stereotypes and all that other stuff that we have about each other that actually are not, not really substantiated yeah. by anything yeah. except the rolling kind yeah. of conversations mm. in the air that's fabulous that yeah wow okay so mm. can i just ask okay so you so you interviewed um the black <coughs> researchers and they interviewed the ceos was there any way of getting because that lived experiences that the that the black um employees had you know, the experiences that you're talking about being stereotyped in a certain way or, you know, feeling a certain way. I mean, those things are important, for example, for the CEOs to know. Yeah. You know, because like you're saying, otherwise it just goes in that yeah. little circle. Was there any way of, like, did you, are you going to share? or? So did I you, did. You um, did? Okay. I, I tried to, at least um, <laughs> yeah. at, uh, at the conference. There's a, every year there's a Samra conference mm-hmm. that happens. So I, I tried to present there and I'm also writing. Okay, you know, great. I, I'm, I'm trying to push as much information out there as mm-hmm. possible. Um, writing for their journal um, to see, like, to try and get these stories out there. Great. Because that was the, the, the biggest thing also that just overwhelmed me when I realized is that mm. there is so much. I mean, and us, like as, as uh, black people, for instance, we have so much to talk about. Like, mm. so, so many st- rich stories that I came across that just blew me away. And I thought this needs to be documented. Mm. You know, we need, to, we need to document these stories. But anyways, that was part of the process of getting the research. And, um, and, and, and also like, because the industry, it's quite, it's fast paced. Mm. It's motivated by, you need to meet client demands, mm, mm. you know, and because of that, the, the organizations are constantly playing catch up, you know, yeah. and because they're constantly playing catch up with their clients, they tend to then neglect, um, mm. some of the um, talent management processes that happen. For instance, performance management, uh, management, um, talent management in the organizations. Uh, skills development of their employees, you know, and some of the relationships that could be inculcated in, within the um, the organization. It tends those things tend to be neglected because they're just constantly trying to meet to demand. to meet yeah, yeah. the client yeah. demands. So yeah, so and that then creates issues with the culture because, for instance, I was talking about what um, organizational identity is. It's the balance between culture and the messages um, externally. So and if the culture is not stable or the values are not clearly defined and lived um, in the organization, then it creates problems, and that just creates all mm. sorts of problems that you have to read the study <laughs> to <laughs> to understand what happens. Just the just the last question because. Um, it's also Women's Day, so I just wanted to check. <laughs> Did you find any differences? I mean, obviously you interviewed um, different people. Did you find any any differences between, for example, maybe the experiences of black women compared to black men in that industry or did you not really look at that was it not an issue it wasn't an issue but also like the industry is actually a female dominated mm, industry. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like it's 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 an interesting because then you see the dynamics that are it's contained mm. so, say, these are racial dynamics more than yeah. you know, gender dynamics yeah. in that space because it's it's quite female dominated mm-hmm. so yeah and then from the um, 
the, the, the researchers themselves, what, what, what I then found is that there are basically three categories in the groups of the guys that I spoke to. Um, you get the first category of the, um, the, the, the black person that, uh, I would say Steve Beagle wanted. Mm. You know, the proudly black individual who will not compromise on, on their culture and their worldviews and the way they approach things in the workplace. They, they want to remain authentic. Um, so, and that was you. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. <laughs> oh, maybe. So there's that one type of, of black person uh, that I, I came across. And then the second one would be like the, the type that is agreeable. You know, they, mm. they tend to be, they're, they're highly em- em- emotionally intelligent. They're flexible. You know, they, they tend to be caring and they get along, easy to get along with anybody. You mm. know? And those are the guys who tended to be promoted because they, they're flexible. They're not fussy. They get the job done. They're caring. They're nice. And they <laughs> <laughs> they're nice. Yeah. <laughs> So it, they are easy to be around, so they, it's easier. So they made their way up quite, quite quicker than than the rest. And then the the last group that uh, that I saw, it's the individuals who just won't commit to a decision. Mm. You know, those are the guys. They're unhappy. They've been there for however many years. They don't like the situation. They feel exploited. Yet they 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 don't make a decision. And, 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 and those guys, what I realized with them is that they, they, they remove themselves emotionally from, from the environment, from mm. the situation, from the organization. And they start doing things on the side. So you find that they've got a small business going on on the side mm. or they're studying on the side. And yeah. And, and, and because of that, it's easier to cope with whatever situation you know, that is happening in that environment. And and because of that, the this, these personality traits that all three groups have, it, they react to the to the environment accordingly. For instance, the proudly black individual they tend to leave quite quickly, because they tend to be self reliant. Um, so they find opportunities and they move. And because they are pr- proudly black, and the organizations are more often find it difficult to. To interact with them because mm-hmm. they they experience them as as angry, aggressive. aggressive. Yeah, <laughs> you seem to be to know what, who I'm talking about. <laughs> Long ago, is it okay? So at least you can fit yourself no, in I the study. You can already <laughs> identify where you're falling. Yeah, so the organizations tend to find them find it difficult to handle them. So and then they leave because they're self reliant and they find opportunities and they move on. And then the guys, as I've said, who are agreeable, they tend to stay in the organization, um, move up the ladder. However, they don't have real power because mm. they're flexible and they, they, they're very nice to be around with. And then the guys that are... You're being very stay. nice here about these people. I feel like you want to say something else. No, <laughs> because it's not bad. It's, it's a different personality. It's a different way of, of, yeah, of, no, of, of experiencing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, And it's actually... It, it, it helps because, mm. I mean, they, they succeed. In, and they will succeed anyway. It's not because of these, organi- these organizations. Mm. Anywhere they would go, they would succeed because of just their makeup. Yeah. They're they easy to get along with. Okay. So, yeah. So the organizations end up with... Uh, eventually, they end up with... Like that, those kind of guys who are easy to be around, and then the guys who who just 
not do anything. They emotionally remove themselves, but not act. And the guys that they actually need, which are the proudly black, those are the mm. guys that they, they need. They lose them. Mm. So it ends up becoming a lose-lose situation. Mm. Mm. Well, that's, yeah, wow. that's really important research. Thanks a lot for sharing with us. Wow. Is there somewhere they, where people can, can hear more or can get more, in, or can they contact you via email? No, and not not. At, at the moment, I'm not, I'm not sharing it widely okay. because it's, uh, I'm still actually waiting for some of the feedback from my All supervisors right. and then, mm. and then the process okay. can be, can be uh, wrapped up. So right. I'm sharing with you guys because, yeah, you were nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you for that. You're welcome. You, you look like you had a question. No. Um, I just wanted to, to ask you for the emotional part on your, on your, like, you know, what did, how was it for you to do the whole, Exercise and the whole study and the whole process from the beginning to the end, and were you challenged at any point yeah. in terms of what you thought was going to come out and what actually came out? And yeah, at, at the process for me, like I went through different emotions. Like the when I started the interviews with, because I started with the CEOs, mm. um, because they needed to give me permission to say you can go ahead and and and, and interview our employees as mm. well. You know, some of the things that they they would say in. <laughs> you know, like I find myself feeling angry And mm. those are the things that mm. then the diary helps Because mm. we, and I talk about You know, when the person uh, said that And it's so completely off track mm. Yeah, so I went through that And then also some of the stories that From the CEOs themselves as well Like empathy to, mm. under, to realize that Actually they really, really genuinely want to do something mm. They just don't know how mm. And where to start and everything So the empathy they And I went through all those emotions And then when going through um, the interviews With the, the researchers themselves Some of them seeing myself in them Like mm. the stories, like how they grew up And I'm like, oh wow, how also And I took that for granted So it was also a journey for myself to say Okay, I also went through that mm. And this is how it made me and um, some of the guys things that are you you don't imagine people going through like mm. you know there are strong human beings out there mm. they've seen so much gone through so much and they are just survivors and pushers and they will make things happen so I went through and all of women uh, yeah just saying yeah okay, there are a few guys there are a few guys yeah. as well but it was mostly women, women yeah yeah Wow, that's amazing. Thank you so much, Swangili, for sharing your story with us and also especially since it's, you know, a new story and we are the first ones to <laughs> so that's an honor. Thank you. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna take um a short break and then after that we'll talk to Rebel. Hi everyone, thank you. I hope you're back with us. Um uh yeah, we've had like a riveting conversation and um, more details about Swangili's study. And now we're moving on to the fabulous label. Um, I just wanted to say, I must say, actually, the ladies in the studio are looking great today. It is Women's Day and we must um, celebrate women and beauty. And one has beautiful braids on and this is Queen Label. And then <laughs> the beautiful Swangili has got like a very, very short brush cut. So both very African looks. They look amazing, stunning. We're going to post pictures and you tweet and you'll see what hotties we're sitting with in the office. I mean, in the <laughs> studio. I, I don't know why you're not including yourself in the hottie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And your dreadlocks. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, um, I just want to um, introduce Lebu. Um, Lebu is a very passionate human being, and, and I've gotten to know her through the different um, journeys that we've been traveling on, on this similar quest that we are all on. And um, I'd like her to share her story with us and her um, contribution as an African woman and all the various, you know, the things that Anisha was telling us about her. And um, I just want to her to start with telling us, you know, how it, where she got the inspiration from, how it all started, and just also to share her story with us. Okay, thank you for inviting me, and hello to the listeners. Um, so, what inspired me to become this um, speaker, change maker, where I'm just really so passionate about our continent and really driving the Pan African story and African Renaissance is really. Um, so I grew up wanting to, I, I can't even say this with a straight face. I grew up wanting to live overseas because I really believed that there was a better life abroad. So um, I moved to Australia to study my master's in international business. And when I got there, I remember I was coming back from, an ex- from writing an exam and there was about 100 students waiting for the train. And I remember sitting there and thinking to myself, I wish I could see at least one other African in this um, entire train platform. And I couldn't see anyone. So I moved overseas and I got there and I realized that, you know what, my soul is here and my skills and everything that I am should be actually dedicated to renew, to Africa's renewal mm. and making the continent a better place. But um, the penny really dropped when I got home and I enrolled for uh, a doctorate um, through correspondence with an American university. University. When it came time for me to define my question, I wanted to define something around the Millennium Development Goals. And I realized really at that point that I had lived my whole life either going through a British school system and then I went through an Australian school system and I really knew nothing about what our continent really needs. So I humbled myself and I stopped um, the doctorate and I enrolled in um, an a certificate, an African Studies certificate through the Tabumbeke African Leadership Institute. And for me, that is where I really found my voice because um, there I, redisco- I really, really rediscovered my African self. I rediscovered my African values. And um, th- it offered me um, a, a rich um, African knowledge repository. Um, it, what, what Tamali did for me really is that it, it offered me an alternative narrative about our continent in terms of its past, its present, and its future possibilities. And it, it, it created something in me that said, you know what, I, I might be someone that is not known, but I can start having a voice. I can start, you know, presenting at different co- conferences around the continent, around the world, and offering solutions on a macro level to the continent. Um, Tamali has moved me to becoming a, a change agent for Africa's renewal through social and knowledge activism seen in um, the blogs that I've started posting mm-hmm. and stuff. So really it was, it was, a, it was quite an emotional journey for me, especially when I studied, um, African international trade because I haven't done a master's in international business in a Western society in mm. an Australian, in one of Australia's top universities. I came home and I studied African international trade and I realized that the decisions that I would have made with the um, Western knowledge would have never, ever been great for our continent because mm. we also have to understand that the knowledge that they put out there, they also, I mean, they have int- their own interests. Mm. So for me, really coming home and immersing myself in the studies has was a total emotional journey because, I mean, my first subject at Tamale is to sit up and call my sister at all hours 
odd hours call my friends um, that were um, had the, the honor of having liberation struggle heroes in their families and say, why didn't you tell me this is what we're up against? Mm-hmm. So really right now I, I consider myself a guardian for our, um, not only our country but our continent and I believe that my purpose is really finding ways to, to, to um, inspire and educate the young um, Africans out there to, to know like that um, – it's not just a, you know, we're all being weird about Africa. It's about finding ways to interpret it in our daily micro level. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. I just want to, um, I just remembered our last dialogue that we had. Um, we had uh, foreign nationals as part of the dialogue, and you know, for me, what touched me in that specific dialogue was how we calling them foreign nationals in yeah. the first place. You know, yeah. I mean, and and we were all in one African continent, and mm. you know, when you heard them speak and how passionate they were for the Africa as mm. a whole and not just South Africa or wherever these individual countries are coming from, it was such a sobering moment to actually hear that we actually do have a common interest as well, and we really find we have issues and we have all these things around it that we need to think about and talk with Mm. but actually from the point of departure we are all African and Africa has so much to offer Mm. And I, I don't blame, you know, I, 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 I don't blame any young person out there. I always say because they're not enough. Um, there's not enough of our leaders stepping out there and actually chanting the, the whole continent story. Mm. I mean, I look at myself now, speaking from a point of view that I'm from South Africa, that we don't, we still don't have a space where there's a lot of interaction and people like you're saying people still call them foreign national. We still have our xenophobic attacks, but um, what we need to do is we need to re-educate. Our, our our brothers and sisters and we need to understand that also a, a very important point that I always tell people in a social setting when they start using um, derogatory words to refer to our African brothers and sisters is that you know they owe everybody in this um, country owes their freedom to all of all mm, of Africa because mm, it was a mm. united African struggle. It was a struggle throughout the whole world. And I just really always try in, in, in simple conversation, try to bring back people to, to saying that, you know what, um, our African renaissance is, is, you know, I always, I like Mokaba's, um, definition of African renaissance where he talks about, um, it's a unique opportunity for us as Africans to define ourselves. And our agenda according to our own realities and to take into account the realities of the world around them. Mm. It is us as Africans who have to be agents of our own history and masters of our own destiny. And I like that because at a micro level, it tells you, it tells you that, you know what, all of us as Africans, we have a responsibility to mentor the young Africans. Mm. You know, that's how we do it at a micro level. That's how we bring in that African renaissance. You know, we need to, to build a conscious generation of upcoming leaders because if, if you have a child and you already teach them that um, we're all Africans, that child will never be xenophobic. Mm. If you have people at work that you're leading, like your juniors, like some of us have, um, you, you, you have those conversations about what it means to have an African. That means that um, what it means that means that they can go have those conversations in in their own spaces. So I'm I'm really really passionate about that. And um, my thing is we need to live. We have our own African values, right? Mm. So I'll give you a, um, a personal experience of myself at a, like I said in a micro um, level at corporate is when I was so I was um, posted in Dubai for a project. And it was quite, um, the team that I was in was quite an aggressive team. They would scream at each other, you know, swear words here and there with my previous company. And, um, and it was really, um, I got criticized and I got, um, told by managers at the time that, you know what, I'm too soft. 
you know, and I need to start screaming and and really because by the time I went to Dubai, I was already rooted in what means to be what it means to be African. I realized mm-hmm. that you know Ubuntu is African humanitarianism, right? It involves us um, having sympathy, care, and having sensitivity to others' needs. Mm-hmm. So I, I completed my project without getting involved in a culture that I didn't understand, but staying true to my African values. Mm-hmm. So that's what we need to do. Uh, it, it's really that simple. It's not about like us like dressing in a certain way. And I'm not saying let's go back to like dressing in cow skins or whatever. I'm just <laughs> saying embrace the rich heritage that we have mm. as Africans. Yes, we've got these broad terms, African Renaissance, but the question is, what does it mean in my everyday life? Mm. And all I'm saying is, look back to the heritage that you have, and and inform and use that to inform the decisions. Use that to inform the walks that you have, the situations that you have at at, at your that can present yourself in the workplace. Another example of Ubuntu really for me is as Africans, once you've made it up the ladder, mm. um, like I'm very passionate about like um, I've got a young girl that um, is on my project and the kind of work that I do as a management consultant, I craft business strategies for like Fortune 500 companies for governments. So I get an opportunity to really sit with CEOs in boardrooms, to sit with directors in boardrooms. What I do is I consciously take an African child with me, um, a young graduate, and I say, you know, come with me to this meeting, even if that child is just taking minutes, mm. because that is embracing Ubuntu. That is saying that, you know what, as Africans, I'm going to help you master your own destiny. I'm going to help you climb up this corporate ladder. So, um, so let us not find ourselves a, a, in a way that we say, you know, we're African because I'm dressed in African mm, attire, yeah. but we're not living our African values. Yeah. So for me, it's like take these big, big concepts, African Renaissance, yes, you know, but how do I practice it in my day to day, you know, my day to day? I love how you, you kind of, yeah, just making it real and practical, you know, and talking mm-hmm. about what you do on an everyday level. Cause we always hear these huge words, you know, mm-hmm. like you're saying African Renaissance and, but we're not practicing small practical things that we can do every day. Mm-hmm. But I just want to, want to ask you because, you know, I can hear that you're doing all these things, you know, at also at your level, what you can do practically. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that example of you at that example in Dubai, mm-hmm. you know, where you decided, no, I'm not going to get swallowed into that thing. And it kind of links to, to what Sibongila was talking about earlier mm-hmm. about, you know, these, she mentioned that one group of these black, whatever you call them, what these black, the first group. Proud. Yes. The black, <laughs> yes, the proudly black. black. And for me, it's, I mean, how do you, how do you kind of balance that? You know, how do you, because that stuff is good. Like that group is good, you know, and you bringing Ubuntu in is good. But you, you know, how, what are the challenges? Because you present that and then people are like, Oh my God, you know, this person is trying to push something and they almost get scared and you don't want that either. You know, because you're making it sound really easy. I just want to to hear because it's a challenge. You know, we have we have these African values that we want to, and they're good and they're positive. But when we try to practice them, they sometimes seen as you know, whoa, what are you doing? You know, and that's why we hide them sometimes a bit yeah. because we're like, how do we incorporate them? You know, so, what are the challenges? So, um, to answer that, I'm going to talk to one of my favorite things. Like, um, Keke just said, I, I love, I love. I'm a fashionista. I love looking good. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie about that. And to answer that, I'm just gonna talk to you about um, corporate attire. So mm. I've decided to use my corporate attire as a way of um, punting the African story. So um, when I joined corporate um, 
straight from Australia into a, a, a into the, into the continent. You know, I thought I'd have to conform into wearing black and grey suits in a corporate world, um, and. What I've done is that, you know, I've embraced my Af- my African heritage. And what I do now is I go into a boardroom with a CEO to present wearing my head wrap. Mm. You know, I go in there wearing my African prints. And um, what it's actually caused is that instead of people um, asking me, okay, at first, some um, when I'd go to the shops, people would be like, are you going for a wedding? I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, people would be like, oh, you know, only you can pull that off. You know, when I walk in with these bold African prints, bold African designs. and But what it's ended up doing is um, people have actually said to me, you know what? Oh, you look so lovely. Mm. Oh, you know, um, I... I've had a, I've had graduates coming to me now, starting to wear their beads to work. Mm. You know, um, it's really just been such a, a really good, um, great journey. And I think what has caused it to look like it's easy for me, really, is because I I know that when I when I wear that, I don't come with aggression, I don't come mm. with anger. Mm-hmm. I'm comfortable in my skin and. When you're comfortable in your skin and you understand why you're doing certain things, then everyone falls in love with that. Mm-hmm. I remember in Dubai, for instance, um, because I would wear my different, you know, um, beads, my head, my dukes, my head wraps, you know, proud African women. And um, people would actually ask me, you know, what does that mean? Is that, you know, is that a tribe in Africa somewhere? <laughs> and it would open like a, a conversation, conversation for me yeah. to be able to talk yeah. to people about, you know, oh, okay, this is actually, there's a, I remember once I was wearing uh, something from the, the Ndebele tribe and I was like, there's a tribe in, in South Africa, the Ndebele tribe. And then they're like, oh, this and like, for instance, the print that I'm wearing today here, it's like from Ghana, you know, mm-hmm. like, like, so it, it opens like um, conversations with people and people start to know. And another thing um, that I must mention is when I was traveling um, on business from the States, um, I, I'd been there before, um, before I became um, a, a Pan-Africanist and I was wearing the, you know, the grays, the blacks, the blues, and, you know, I never got any compliments. <laughs> I swear, the year that I went back and I was draped in my African prints, everyone was stopping me. All, I mm. mean, the directors were stopping me. When I went through Chicago or Hero, I mean, everyone was stopping me to tell me just how great, where did I get those African prints? Uh. And so that's, that's, for me, the challenge comes when you're not sure why you're doing a certain mm. thing. And, you, you know, there's a period of anger that we all go through. Even I was angry when I realized that Actually, what I learned in Australia is not good for our continent. Mm. But after that anger comes the, the, the moment where you're like, actually, this is what I stand for. This yeah. is who yeah. I am as an African, mm. you know, and to be proudly African. And, you know, when, you, and when, you, when you're graceful in your spirit, then it comes to everyone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's so true. I love the, <laughs> I feel so like mellow and, and calm. And, you know, after hearing that, and I think that's a great way for us to actually Wrap up unless any of you guys have any questions that you wanted to ask. Label. Can I can I just we add on what you were saying about mm. Timali? And mm. uh, I know now we might, might be promoting Timali or something, <laughs> else, but I, I would proudly do so mm. because I also went through mm. um, Timali and some of the courses that um, they offer. And I can tell you now, it, it, even fine. You're talking about the education you got in Australia. Mm. Some of us is an education we got in South Africa mm. that does not talk about mm. um, African pride, mm. and also just showing us how that Africa is not the dark continent mm. that is made out to be, mm. and that uh, the education from there helps you for that. So if you can, um, if you really, if you can. Make sure that you register there. Go just to rediscover what it means to be African. Mm-hmm. Because you, when you're sitting there in the boardroom, um, have, facing all the challenges that you face, 
as Lebu said, it does help when you're grounded in something, especially mm, in awesome. knowing who you are, knowing that you stand on the shoulders of greatness. Mm. You know, you don't walk in there feeling weak and mm. uh, questioning and doubting anything, any decisions that you're making. So thank if you, you can, please do. <laughs> okay, thank you for that. Um, my last thoughts is just that to all the young women out there, embrace your roots. Um, enjoy your heritage because it's really something beautiful and stand firm in what it means to be an African. Ah, thank you. That's a great way to end. Just one last thing that we'd like to say to everyone before we go. We have a dialogue today in Pretoria at the U Space on the the Cork Cork Street Street in Sunnyside. It's starting at 11. Um, It usually takes around three hours. So please, I know by now you're like out of bed. So please come (laughs) and support us. We'll have a fabulous, um, yeah, we're going to have a great uh, platform today. And obviously it's going to be around Women's Day. And thank you. We hope to see some of you later today. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you. This is CliffCentral.com.